0: Welcome to Julius Baer's True Connections podcast, where we hear from entrepreneurs, industry leaders, and financial experts on their views on today's world. In this edition, Callum Brewster talks to Hugh Campbell, founder and managing partner of the advisory and investment firm, GP Bullhound, about his 20 years of experience in the tech space in the UK and Europe. Hi, Hugh, how are you today? I'm very well, good. Q. rather than me trying to explain what has been a really interesting career for you, would you like to just share your background and what you've done over the last couple of generations?
1: Sure. I grew up in Manchester,
0: went to Oxford
1: University, and then I guess a little bit like Dick Whittington, moved to London to make my fortune. This was 1995, and I was lucky enough to work for two American investment banks, initially for Citibank and then for Goldman Sachs. And I guess they taught me the dark art of corporate finance or deal-making. And then in the height of the dot-com boom, I launched GP Bullhound, the business that I run today, with three investment banking friends. And our ambition then is the same as it is now, really, to advise and invest in the best technology companies in Europe and help those entrepreneurs that
0: run those businesses, build globally successful companies. What was the particular gap that you saw that encouraged you to create and develop J.P. Bullhound? I
1: think it was partly around timing. Of course, in 1998, 99, you're at the height of the dot-com boom and, of course, everything in technology is going through the roof. So it felt like the sector was very much on the move, not just in terms of making money, but bringing about fundamental change to the way in which we live our lives. I think the second thing was that as the market crashed, you know, really just 12 months later, most of the corporate finance advisors in the technology market were American firms. And they either went bust or were so discredited, they went back to the US. And that gave the four us at GP Bullhound a real chance to build a European firm for European entrepreneurs.
0: And what have you seen since that change between the relationship across the Atlantic? Have you seen Europe accelerate, catch up and indeed move ahead of the states, or is there some way still to go?
1: Yeah, I think there's still some way to go. And in fact, we've been tracking this very carefully since 2014. We publish a piece of research every year which tracks the growth of, I guess, what the media would call unicorns, so these mythical billion-dollar businesses. And today there are now $80 billion businesses that have been created in Europe since 2000. And that's a much greater figure than most people would imagine. And they're not just being created in London or in Berlin or in Stockholm, but they're being created in all corners of Europe. I mean, UiPath, this software robotics business, is a billion-dollar business created out of Bucharest. We've seen two fantastic businesses created in Amsterdam recently, Adyen and Elastic. And I think we're really into tech 2.0 when it comes to Europe. I think the first generation of entrepreneurs and advisors and investors you know, was really that period between 2000 and, and 2015, when we were all really trying to get to grips with how we build global technology companies out of Europe. But now we have a lot of proof points. A lot of very successful entrepreneurs are now recycling their capital either into their own next business or into funds. And we're finding that the entrepreneurs have learned many lessons over the last 20 years on how to successfully build businesses. So yes, I think we're still running hard to catch up with the volume of the American technology market and in China, but I think we're doing a great job.
0: And have you found from founders, is there the ambition in the UK and Europe to grow to that unicorn level, or do you feel there's a different perspective on this geography compared to the States or indeed in the Far East? Do people want to create liquidity earlier or do they actually see real global scale in their organisations when they set up?
1: I think an entrepreneur's appetite to risk does change depending on where you are in the world. I think there has historically been a case in Europe where in the technology sector at least, the temptation for entrepreneurs and investors as well the venture capital community who are often sitting on the boards in these businesses, can sell too early. And that's partly because they're a bit less experienced at really running these businesses through to their final conclusion. And also that they feel, you know, uh, perhaps a two or three times return is good enough. And that's probably, at least in the UK, this kind of private equity heritage that we've got, which is more about structuring financial risk than it is about taking commercial or technology risk. So we come from a heritage of accountants and management consultants and perhaps less of a heritage of entrepreneurs. But I do think that the ambition levels have changed a lot over the last 10 years. And that's partly because, of course, as Europeans, we can see some very successful technology companies on the global stage from Europe, whether it's businesses like Arm that's now owned by SoftBank or whether it's Spotify and many others in the technology sector. So we have a few leading lights showing the way and educating us that maybe it's less about education
0: more about belief believing that we can succeed on the global stage and it's something i hear myself often round about that multiple when is the right time to exit and i think also the experience that you've touched on as well where they haven't got the breadth of experience either in their own leadership team or indeed from some strong mentoring or indeed advice from organizations like yourself do you feel that's continuing to improve or how could we get better at that within Europe?
1: Yeah, I think that we have all got better through experience. I mean, if you think about Silicon Valley, it's you know, 50, 60 years old now. So whether it's tech 3.0, 4, 5, whatever it is, there are a few generations ahead. And that means that everybody in the technology value chain has had more experience. And so I think what you're seeing in Europe now is a big increase in the amount of capital that can be deployed into the technology sector, not just from Europe, but we're seeing more money over here from US pension funds and private equity funds and also from China as well. I mean, it's interesting if you think at a macro political level about the US-China trade war. Well, of course, one of the benefits for Europe there is that Asia and China in particular is starting to look much more to Europe for technology than it has in the past. In the past, it was really all about the U.S., and then Israel. And now Europe is very much a continent which is well-recognized for building great software businesses, great technology companies, and can perhaps be a source of innovation for that part of the world. So I think there's plenty of capital now around in Europe, much more than there has been in the past. And I think that's a little bit about the fear of missing out. Now, investors are very much tempted into corners of the world that they haven't been into before by businesses
0: that they haven't invested in. When you're seeing that inward investment, whether it's from the States or Asia, coming into Europe, do you still see it's coming through the major hubs such as London and the UK? Or are those investors now aware of the great work that's going on, whether it's in Manchester, where you're located, or in Edinburgh, where I'm located? Are you seeing that they're coming still via London, or are they coming to these more regional cities directly?
1: I think London and the big sources of tech capital in Europe, so I would add into that, Berlin, Stockholm, probably Paris as well. I mean, those four pubs control the lion's share of the capital. But I would say that it's definitely on the move. And if you look at the UK, for example, in Edinburgh, we've had some great success stories with Skyscanner, amongst others. In Manchester, with businesses like The Hut and Boohoo, And then if you look across into continental Europe, I mentioned UiPath in Bucharest, Unity, fantastic games development platform out of Copenhagen. And so I think if you're going to be successful at investing in Europe, you do have to be local. And we've certainly found that by having seven offices in and around Europe, a couple in the UK and the rest from Madrid all the way through to Helsinki, that we're able to find these superstar entrepreneurs and not just find them, but build a relationship with them, help them in the early stages of their business so that as and when they're ready to raise capital or IPO the company
0: or sell that we're in pole position. And are you seeing any particular trends in relation to where that advice is needed in particular to get to that next stage? Is it round about personnel, expertise? What are you identifying and where are your skills and experience being utilised the most?
1: I think that we've always been good at building a better mousetrap in Europe. I don't think that's just related to technology businesses. But I think we've always struggled to get the product marketing and the overall consumer or business proposition right. So the gaps that we see in Europe tend to be in and around that product marketing area really trying to find people that have led teams that are launching products into new geographies or launching products into new, as yet uncategorized areas of consumer behavior. Clearly, we're as good at finances as anywhere else. And then perhaps the other area, I would say, is to find very experienced non-exec directors or chairmen that can help to mentor, in many cases, these first-time founders to lofty heights. So product marketing
0: and then non-exact chairman mental types, people that have done it before. And that experience is invaluable and what we're doing at Julius Baer, so the Julius Bear Entrepreneur Network, which part of this broadcast is supporting, is trying to find opportunities to help facilitate those individuals in a way that allows us to share that experience and coordinate it better. But that also involves you that you'll know very well is actually working with some of the great universities across Europe who are important as part of that infrastructure and indeed some of the policy makers. Do you feel we've got a long way to go yet to have these business, education and policy makers joined up in a way that really takes Europe to the next level? Or do you see opportunities for us still to improve there?
1: Yeah, I think there's still a lot of room for improvement. I certainly see that locally in Manchester, and Callum, you may also see that in Edinburgh, the universities that we have in the UK are some of the best in the world, but their ability to engage with corporates or industry still, I think, leaves a lot to be desired. And then if you look at the other side of universities, which is about creating university spin-outs, or at least motivating and educating either the academics or the students to go out into the world and build businesses, then We've got quite a long way to go if we're to replicate the successes that we've seen at MIT or even at Stanford in California. So no, I think we still have a lot of work to do. I think partly the funding environment for university spin-outs is very challenging. There's very little government capital available. And although we have some great tax breaks for business angels here in the UK at least. You now I think that they find the risk profile of these sorts of earlier stage, high IP businesses coming out of universities quite challenging to fund them and to understand. And so additional capital is always going to help. And I think if their universities can build up their endowment programs, and you see that again, if you look into the U.S., huge endowment programs, you know, then they'll start to build an amount of capital that they can deploy into their own students and academics as they come up with bright ideas.
0: And one of the areas as well is that coordination across the whole infrastructure, which I totally agree, Hugh, is so important. One of the things that I know that you've referenced before, and it's something that challenges us in our own profession, is getting further diversity within the profession itself. It's still very male-orientated. Are you still seeing that in the organisations that you are working with? And Any thoughts and views on how we continue to encourage greater diversification and in every sense, and trying to encourage entrepreneurial spirit.
1: Yeah, I think it's a big challenge for the technology sector. that has been much written about in the US and certainly over here as well. And you've seen some very extreme and very negative examples of that, whether that's with the grow culture that was much maligned within Uber and you know, within the venture capital and private equity community. So the decision makers all being a bit like myself, white and male, I think that the challenge is, particularly at the founder level, is to really provide everybody with an even playing field. And to do that, you know, we need to provide increased infrastructure and support for founders of all types in order to uh, try and level the playing field for success. Mm-hmm. We certainly spend most of our time still today working with male founders across Europe. I'm sure things will change over time, and we're certainly seeing some very progressive funds that are focused on funding women or funding other minorities, and I think that's to be applauded.
0: Yeah, I'm in agreement again, here is there's much to be done, and I just think it adds such great value, and I've been in a few sessions even over the last month where, again, this has been an important topic to really push the UK and, indeed, Europe further forward. So, Hugh, based on all of your experience from setting up JP with Bullhound a number of years ago, how far off do you think we are from seeing that first titan in Europe, that first 50 billion company? Is it a long way off or is it in the next 10 years?
1: I think it's certainly in the next 10 years. I think the companies leading the charge for that. The one of them I mentioned before, Spotify, that we were lucky enough to be a small investor in. So I think at latest count, their valuation was around $25 billion. Behind them, you would have some other listed businesses, businesses like Zalando, which is more in the e-commerce space, particularly around fashion, and then perhaps businesses in the payment space like Adyen. So 10 years is a long time in technology. So I would have thought within the next five, and it may even be a business that that we haven't even come across yet. I was lucky enough to speak to the former COO of Vuba a week or so ago, and he was just talking me through some of the numbers from that business. And it's worth just reflecting that Uber's only 10 years old. And last year, it did $50 billion worth of ride-hailing revenue. $50 billion in only 10 years. And if you go way, way back, I mean, if you look at a business like Walmart, for example, it took Walmart 35 years to get to $1 billion of revenue. Even Microsoft and Google took... 15 and 10 years respectively to get to a billion. And here you have a business that's only 10 years old and it's already at 50 billion. So I guess my point around that is that the speed with which these companies can be created is getting ever quicker, which means the disruption and the impact these businesses are having on the global stage is huge. And of course, alongside all of the great value that is being created, you know, there are businesses and industries that are being transformed as a result of this kind of hyperscale.
0: And I think as well you would support, based on what was discussed earlier around about the overall infrastructure, it means that advisors such as yourself and organisations like J.P. Bullhound and indeed Julius Baer need to be even more agile and attuned to the acceleration and speed of these organisations' growth and to be able to support it correctly. Is that fair, Hugh?
1: I think that's absolutely right. Given the speed of business growth and disruption in today's digital world I think the leaders of businesses today have to be very decisive and of course with that there has to be an acceptance that you will make mistakes but to ensure that as founders and entrepreneurs we're creating a culture where that's okay you know we're moving away from this perhaps more British traditional Victorian culture that mistakes are not to be admitted and to be brushed under the carpet but celebrating them and quickly learning from those in order to improve because you don't really have time to worry too much about the past. You have to keep looking forward. And if you had
0: three wishes, Hugh, for the next 12 months, what would those be? Either linked to JP Bullhound or the sector itself, what would you like to see happening in the next 12, 18 months? Well, I'd like the US-China trade war
1: to settle down. I think that that's a big distraction and a big concern for many of us in the industry. We have An office in Hong Kong, we're increasingly doing business in Asia, and that is casting a dark shadow across a lot of different economies, I think, globally. And so I think we need some strong clarity around that. I would say in Europe, I hope I get to meet some fantastic software entrepreneurs over the next 12 months. We run an event, which we held in Edinburgh last year, actually, called the Northern Tech Awards. And we're hosting that in Leeds in March next year. I think we had 200 entries for that last year for the top 100s. Perhaps we can get to 300 entries so that we can celebrate the kind of northern tech economy and make sure that London doesn't steal all of the limelight. And then the third one, I think, comes back to your diversity point. Now, I hope we start to see or continue to see a real growth in initiatives to build diversity within the coding industry. You know, They're a very... Technical level, all the way through to founders and investors. I think there's
0: still a long way to go there, but hopefully we can see some good improvements in the next 12 months. Hugh, thank you very much for your time, but more importantly, thank you for your experience and your thoughts and views. Many thanks, Callum. That's all for this edition of Julius Bear's True Connections podcast. Thank you for listening, and please do keep in touch with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and at juliusbear.com.